Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. We are in Exodus chapter 20. We will begin reading in verse 1. We are on the eighth commandment. Uh, we have covered the first seven commandments so far. Today we'll look at the eighth. The next couple of weeks we'll look at the ninth and the tenth. And then um, I believe more than likely after that we'll move back into Genesis and in our discussion of Genesis. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all of these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. <coughs> Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we look at your law, remind us that you are the God who declared these in the thunder and the lightning as your glorious presence descended upon Mount Sinai. And as we hear these words in Scripture, we are to tremble before you, as the Israelites did. The Israelites trembled in knowing that they were unholy after hearing your law, these, these short laws that you gave to them. So Lord, as we look at the law, remind us that we are unholy as well, except for the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, use this law to point us to him. Use this law to remind us of our desperate need of a Savior. And use this law to show us how to live in a way that puts off the old sinful flesh and puts on the new in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of my favorite stories growing up was the story of Robin Hood. Man, that was a life, wasn't it? Kicked out of his family home by the ruthless and evil sheriff of Nottingham, he went to live in the woods with his friends. 
He lived the life of a land-bound pirate with a crew of misfits and outcasts. Tales of danger and daring and escape from danger, swords and bows and arrows. Robin Hood always vanquished the sheriff and sent him home embarrassed. When I got enough to appreciate, appreciate this part of it, I dreamed of winning the hand of the most beautiful woman in the land, just like Robin Hood did with Maid Marian. Friends and I would pretend as we played in our neighborhood, friends and I would pretend that we were Robin Hood and his band of companions, although I never got to be Robin Hood. As the biggest of the group, I was typically Little John because everybody knows Little John wasn't really all that little. But as you grow up, you begin to realize that the, the, the motto of Robin Hood has some moral issues. We ran around the neighborhood proclaiming that we were robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. There's some problems with that, and today we will look at those issues as we consider the Eighth Commandment. We'll talk about theft, we'll talk about private property, and we can even, we'll even look a little bit about how we can give to the poor without stealing from, well, anyone. As we look at the Eighth Commandment today, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the relationship between theft and private property. We're going to look at how we steal from God. And we're going to look at the one who was numbered among the transgressors, among the thieves on our behalf. First, theft and property. Many people today would be surprised to find out that God is pro-private property. I mean, if we have any doubts, today's commandment, the eighth commandment, which is thou shalt not steal, should settle those doubts for us. But oftentimes a short verse like that is not enough. So if we look at the testimony, the witness of Scripture, we see that God is very pro-private property. During the time that the law was given, even up until the time of Jesus, your wealth, your well-being, your ability to sustain yourself in life was intimately tied to the property that you owned. This was an agrarian, an agricultural society, and so if you were going to raise food, if you were going to raise livestock or grain or the fruit of the land, you would need property to do those things on. God was very specific about the fact that property was supposed to stay within the family that it was originally given to. Um, I could lo if I got into if I got into financial trouble, I could loan out. Uh, I could get loans based upon the perceived produce, the predicted produce of the land on which I live. But depending upon where in a seven-year cycle uh, my needs fell, I could only earn so much because at the end of those seven years, I could only borrow so much because at the end of those seven years, all of my produce would revert to me, the debts would be forgiven, and the land ownership would come back to me. There was none of this uh, putting up my land for collateral for a loan and then losing it for a lifetime. God made sure and provided means by which his people could have their land and could uh, avoid permanent debt based on their land. We also see uh, in the laws of God his, his um, provision for private property and seeing that uh, if I did take out a loan that I could not put up as collateral for that loan tools of the trade, if you were, if you will. If I were a blacksmith, uh, you could not take as security for my loan uh, my anvil or my hammers or my forge. Um, those were to be left alone 
because I had to be able to make money in a way so that I could pay back the loan uh, as we move forward. We also see God's provision of private property in the daughters of uh, Zelophehad, Zelophehad, uh, however you pronounce his name, uh, but his, his name's found in Numbers chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. The daughters of Zelophehad, son of Hefer, son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, belonged to the clans of Manasseh, son of Joseph. The names of his daughter were Mala, Noah, Hogla, and Milcah, and Terza. They approached the entrance to the tent of meeting and stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest, the leaders and the whole assembly and said, Our father died in the desert. He was not among Korah's followers who banded together against the Lord, but he died for his own sin and left no sons. Why should our father's name disappear from his clan because he had no son? Give us property among our father's relatives. So Moses brought their case before the Lord and the Lord said to them, What Zelophehad's daughters are saying is right. You must certainly give them property as an inheritance among their father's relatives and turn their and turn their father's inheritance over to them. Say to the Israelite, if a man dies and leaves no son, turn his inheritance over to his daughter. If he has no daughter, give his inheritance to the brothers. If he has no brothers, give his inheritance to his father's brothers. If his father had no brothers, give his inheritance to the nearest relative in his clan that he may possess it. This is to be a legal requirement for the Israelites as the Lord commanded Moses. During this time, not only was your livelihood intimately tied to the land, it was infinitely tied to a husband or to sons. Women could not support themselves. Women could not receive inheritance. But the daughters of this man come to Moses and say, look, why should the land leave our family simply because our father only had daughters? And God says, you're absolutely right. In order for these daughters to be taken good care of within the nation of Israel, the private property, the property must stay within the land. We also see the idea of the sanctity of private property and the restitution laws. If I stole from somebody during this time, I didn't go to jail. I paid it back. If I stole something and destroyed it, I owed up to four to five times what I stole. If I stole something and gave it back, I owed double what I had stolen. God values property. And because God values property, He says, Thou shalt not steal. God has given to every person what they have. God in His wisdom has distributed goods to you and I and to our friends and neighbors around us whether it's property, we don't live in an agrarian society today anymore, an agricultural society, so most of us don't make our living off of, off of farming, off of the land, but many of us still have land. But even if we don't have land, we have property within our homes. We have cars, we have sofas, we have televisions, we have dishes. Uh, we have things that are important to us that God has given to us out of His bounty. And God says, do not take stuff that does not belong to you. I remember I got in trouble one time. We had a Crowder Brothers Hardware in Lakeland. Had a, had a candy display right there on the way out the door. And not a few pieces of that candy made it out the door in my pocket unpaid for. Until I didn't realize mom was behind me instead of in front of me as I wandered out the door. 
I learned very quickly the meaning, the literal meaning of thou shalt not steal. As I got in trouble and had to walk up to the counter and say, I tried to steal this. Here's the money for it. Oh, and by the way, I'm leaving it with you because I'm not allowed to have it. Restitution laws. God says, do not steal. And most of us in this room, hopefully, don't walk out of grocery stores or department stores or hardware stores with stuff in our hands that we didn't pay for. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we have not stolen. God in his law lists a bunch of different ways in which we steal. If we refuse to pay someone what they are owed, that is called theft. We learn that in Deuteronomy 24. In Deuteronomy 20, 19 and 20, during wartime, if we destroy food sources of the people that we are at war against, God calls that theft. In Exodus 20, 21 through 34, the refusal to take care of an immigrant or an alien is theft. Leviticus 19, bribery or unjust weights and measures or borrowing from a neighbor and not returning it is theft. And Deuteronomy 19 talks about encroaching on another's land as being theft. How do, we, how do we steal today? I think one of the biggest ways we in our culture steal today is an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. This number is from about 2001, but a survey was conducted to found that most people, the average person, goofs off 20% of their time at work. That means the average person is receiving five days pay for four days work. Respect of other people's property. What do we do when we accidentally bang our door on somebody's car in a parking lot? Returning what we borrow. I was convicted of this. I have a book that a friend of mine loaned me about six months ago. I haven't read it. I haven't done anything with it and I haven't returned it to him. So the next time I see him, I'm planning on returning his book. Do we take care of the poor? God calls that theft when we don't. When we, do we take care of the alien and the stranger? God calls that theft when we don't. And do we skimp on the tithe? Why do you think God spends so much time in the law on the correct way to deal with the properties of others? Because in reality, as I said a few moments ago, all property, all of creation belongs not to us, but to him. And he has given it out in the way that he gives it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything and gives us what we have for us to use in a way that he directs and brings him glory to another. This includes our time, our talents, our money, our skills, our strengths, our possessions, our homes, our cars. Everything is given to us so that we can honor God. Now we can enjoy these things. These things that God has given to us are good and so that we can enjoy them. But do we enjoy them for our own pleasure or do we enjoy them for God's pleasure? Is your home a castle with a moat around it and the drawbridge always up so that no one can get in? Or is it a gathering place for family, for friends, for neighbors and for strangers? I remember when I grew up, it depended on what day of the week it was during the summer as to what house we were at. We were running around the neighborhood and we were playing in friends' yards and whoever's friend's house we happened to be at at lunchtime, well, that's where we ate lunch. Whoever's friends we happened to be at when it was time in the middle of the afternoon to come inside because in Florida it's like 100,000 degrees outside with a million percent humidity, that's the house we went into. Wherever we were, we were welcome. 
Rosaria Butterfield talks about the home she lives in, in in North Carolina. They had this old dilapidated picnic table in the backyard when they got when they moved into the house. They fixed up the picnic table, they painted it this garish color of green, and they moved it to the front yard. Why did they move it to the front yard? So that neighbors could use it. So that neighbors and people in the neighborhood could gather in their yard and fellowship and take care of each other. Uh, she and her husband walk up and down through the neighborhood giving, uh, asking for prayer requests from their neighbors. Uh, one night a week, they grill out hot dogs and everybody brings stuff to that ugly green picnic table that she talks about in her front yard. They've had to expand the picnic table. So many people come on a regular basis. Do we use what God has given to us for His glory and for His honor? Because it's His ultimately. Because it's His, when we steal, we not only steal from one another, but we steal God's glory. We seek to steal from God. So the first point was that theft violates God's, um, God's uh, provision of private property. The second point, as we're looking at here, is that theft is actually a theft of God's glory. When we steal, whether in the narrow sense of taking someone's property or in the broader sense of uh, not respecting private property, we, we are saying three things about God. First, we're saying that what he has given to us is not enough. Now, some people find themselves without enough money to get through the end of the month, and, and that is a reality. But many times, if we find ourselves in that situation, we really need to ask ourselves some questions. How are we using what God has given to us? Many people that find themselves without enough money at the end of the month, you know, the old joke that says, you know, I always run out of money before I run out of month. If people are honest, the reality is we run out of money at the end of the month because we're spending it on the wrong stuff. We're spending it on stuff we need, don't need. We found that in our own family to be the case. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. We were spending way more on things that we didn't need, on things that didn't glorify God. And we found that at the end of the month, we were running out of money because we weren't using it wisely. But when we steal, we're saying, God, you haven't given me enough. We also say to God that you've given someone else too much. I think this is our big cultural sin today. That person over there has way too much. It's not fair. And so I'm going to take it for myself. Or I'm going to take it for the other people that don't have enough. This is the Robin Hood mindset. We rob from the rich and we give to the poor because the rich have too much and they don't deserve it. And thirdly, when we say that God hasn't given us enough, when we say that God has, not, has given somebody else too much, what we are really saying is that we're smarter and wiser and no better than God. In essence, when we steal, whether it's theft of another person's property, whether it's theft of our employer's money by gift, goofing off, whatever it is, we are saying, God, when I look at how things are working out regarding the resources you have given, you just haven't done a good job of dividing them up. And I'm going to fix that for you. I'm going to take it upon myself to make sure that what you got wrong, I'll get right. And this is a huge problem. We don't come to God and say, I could do this better if you just get out of my way and let me do it. That's not how we act toward the God of the universe. That is stealing glory from God. That is saying, I know better than you. Get out of my way and let me do it. 
And in a sense, all of the world, all of the law is this way. If we violate the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. We are saying to God, I know better than you how marriage works and how sex works. When we violate the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. We are saying to God, I know better than you who gets to live and who gets to die. When we violate uh, honoring our parents, we are saying that I know how to run things and I know how authority works better than you do, God. The violation of every single commandment is a theft of glory from God. So what's our hope? Our hope is the one who hung between the thieves. Turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19 will begin in verse 1. Once we get there, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's taking a trip to Jerusalem. He's taking his last trip to Jerusalem. And as he goes to Jerusalem, he's going through a town called Jericho. And we read this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree, to, yeah, or a fig tree. Sycamore fig tree, it's both. <laughs> a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to the guest, gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that save what was lost. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collectors did not have a good reputation in Israel during this time. Basically, Zacchaeus was an Israelite who sold himself out for a buck to the Roman government. Rome came to the tax collectors and he said, and they said, "You owe us X number of dollars." And you are to collect those taxes from the people around you. If you can get anything else out of them, more power to you. You get to keep. You basically make your living off what you get over and above from these people. They were extortionists. They were bullies. They were thieves. Zacchaeus made his living off of stealing money from people, in essence. And Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to Jerusalem when he gets there, it will be his triumphant entry. And when he leaves there, it will be to go to the tomb. And on his way to Jerusalem, he stops in Jericho long enough to meet Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you know, the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in that sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Zacchaeus climbed to the tree. Jesus got to the tree and he said, why don't you come on down from the tree? I'm going to hang out with you today. I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus was so moved by Jesus and his message that he says, look, I'm a thief and I will repay plus some what I have stolen from other people. And then I will use what I have, what I earned from my job to help the poor. What's the opposite of thievery, according to Paul in Ephesians chapter four? It's Generosity. The giving away of what we have. Why was Zacchaeus able to do that? 
Because the Lord came to seek and to save that which was lost. Salvation didn't come because Zacchaeus gave away all his money. Zacchaeus gave away all his money because salvation had come into his house. We grasp at God's glory. And yet God did, or yet Jesus did not think equality with God something to be grasped. And he took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, where he hung between two thieves where he was numbered with the transgressors so that our theft of God's glory might be covered with his righteousness. So that our theft of other people's property, money, time, resources might be covered by the righteousness of Christ. Thou shalt not steal. We've looked at God's relationship to theft and private property. We've looked at how we steal God's glory. And we've looked at how the one who was hung among the thieves brings us salvation. What is the opposite of theft? I mentioned this a moment ago. It's not just keeping what's yours and, and not taking other people's stuff. It's actually generosity. And to be generous, we need to be good stewards of the possessions that God has given us. Whenever we don't use our possessions well, we are stealing, whether from somebody else or from God. When we don't use our time well, we are stealing, whether it's from somebody else or from God. When we don't use our money well, we are stealing from somebody. We are stealing, whether it's from somebody else or from God. How are we going to be good stewards of what it is that God has given to us so that we may be generous? Well, first, we need to prioritize our generosity. We begin by being generous to God. He's been generous to us. We should be generous to him. The prophet Malachi, God, through the prophet Malachi, told the people of Israel, you're stealing from me. They said, how are we stealing from you, God? It's because you're not giving me the tithe and what you are giving me is just what's left over. It's not the first fruits. You're bringing me the diseased animals. You're bringing me the rotten crops. Give me the tithe and I will bless you. So if we're not generous to God, we're stealing from him. The second thing we need to do is to be generous to our family. There are times when the, there are the poor and the needy that we most desperately need to take care of are those within our own household. Fathers, one of our responsibilities before God is to provide for our family. And if we're not, we're stealing from them. Our family's going hungry because we're either not making enough money or because we're using it unwisely. We are stealing from them and from God. Thirdly, we're to be generous to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The point of Acts 4, where it talks about they owned everything in common and nobody went hungry, is not to promote socialism, but to show us that the gospel changed the people who accepted Christ. So much so that they were willing to give up what they had so that nobody within the church could go hungry. And then we're also to be generous to the poor in our community. Now, this has to be done wisely. We give money for emergency needs and training in right stewardship uh, for ongoing or systemic needs. Now, how do we know where we fall in these four steps and know where to place our generosity? Generosity. Strictly speaking of money, we need to be on a budget. Now, I mentioned to you a few moments ago that Michelle and I came to a realization in our life that very much the reason that we had more month left than money was because of poor spending decisions, typically by the male in the household. So we got on a budget. Uh, Michelle read the Dave Ramsey book. 
Um, there's many other resources out there for getting on a budget, but ours was specifically the Dave Ramsey book. We tried budgets before, they didn't last very long, they have failed. Um, but this budget has worked for us for about two years now. And I have to admit, I was not a huge fan of it when we first got on the budget. I felt it was restricting. I felt, you know, I kind of had free range with the debit card before and now I'm kind of on an allowance. And I didn't like it at all. Michelle tells me not to use that word, but that's what it felt like. But you know, two years into it, this is awesome. It's awesome because I know what I can spend and what I can't. I don't have to worry anymore about having to wait for Michelle to balance the checkbook and go, what's this charge from such and such and so and so on the debit card? Because I don't use it anymore. Well, except for the occasional purchase of a book from Amazon. By the way, we don't talk about that. But not only do I know how much I can spend, but as a family now, we have money left over at the end of the month that we can use to help people. We have resources that God has given to us. He's given, to us, given them to us all along. Resources that we can use, and it's not a lot, but it's something that when somebody comes up to us and says, hey, I'm hungry, can you help me? We can go buy them some food. Um, we can go buy them some groceries. We can help them out. Um, and we can talk to them as we do about the Lord and about their need for something more than just earthly food. We're called to be good stewards of what we have been given. We are called to take what God has given to us and use it for His glory and for His honor. This means that we don't steal from our neighbor, whether it's through actual theft or whether it's from withholding from them goods that God has given to us to use for their benefit and for His glory. And being good stewards means that we no longer steal from God either. We are forgiven by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has the glory. We no longer need to grab at it. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you for property. We do thank you for what you have given to us. And we thank you for the opportunity to use it for your glory and for your honor to reach out into our community, to reach out into our families and to glorify you with what really belongs to you. Help us to be good stewards of what we have. Help us to use it wisely. And help us to do the hard work of saying, we need to be good stewards and becoming good stewards of what you have given. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.